Good afternoon, everybody. everybody. Welcome to Facebook Live organized by Subhanjaya Medical Center. We have Dr. Tan Sengbing with us today to speak on how to be a rainbow in your love workout. In your love workout. Dr. Tan Sengbing is a consultant palliative medicine physician at Subhanjaya Medical Center. He did his Clinical Fellowship in Palliative Medicine at National Cancer Center, Singapore. Later, he joined University of Malaya to start palliative care services. He serves as the palliative care specialist for 14 years. And we are fortunate to have him in SJMC since May of this year. He has a deep interest in research on suffering and most importantly in easing their suffering. Today, Dr. Tan will talk about the challenges that every caregiver has to face and ways to sustain their well-being so that they can continue to provide support for their loved one. Over to you, Dr. Tan. Oh, thank you, Kelly. Can you see my slide? Okay. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm Dr. Tan Seng Beng. Uh, today I'm going to talk about how to be a rainbow in your loved one's cloud. But uh, Because uh, now I think in the afternoon, everyone after lunch, I think most of you will feel very sleepy. So if you fail to become a rainbow after my talk, I think it's still all right. Yeah. So before we talk about how to become a rainbow, I think I will talk about the cloud first. So you can see the cloud usually, uh, especially the rainy clouds, they are, they are quite dark and they are full of uh, stress. So in terms of the clouds of suffering that occur to caregivers who take care of patients who are uh, seriously ill, we can, we can divide the types of suffering into the perception intention and action and the first category regarding the perception is about our senses it's how we sense how we see things how we hear things that cause us to feel stress or suffer so some of the suffering caused by uh, caregiving uh, if, with regards to perceptions, it's like seeing suffering of patients, seeing suffering of other family members, seeing suffering of other patients while, uh, while, uh, while the patients are admitted to the hospital, then hearing bad news from the doctors, hearing expression of suffering from patients, worrying about patients, worrying about other family members, and perceive impending death of patients and perceive impending absence of patients. So all these uh, description of uh, family caregivers uh, when they are taking care of patients who are seriously ill. So the first category, they are all from our senses perception. The second category relates uh, relate, is related to our desires. I mean, in all our whole life, we have been uh, uh, conditioned by our desire. 
to chase pleasant experience and run away from unpleasant experience. So uh, it's about our intention. So when we take care of uh, our loved one, uh, there are a lot of intentions. We want to give the best care. So if we are not able to give the best care, sometimes um, uh, we will feel stress. And there are other form of intention-related stress, like wanting to keep patient alive at all costs, even though the patient is uh, getting worse uh, in front of our eyes, or wanting to just do something and not comfortable in not doing anything for patients. And other intention-related uh, stress will be feeling hopeless, not knowing what to do, feeling hopeless, not knowing what to say, feeling hopeless, not knowing what to expect, and feeling hopeless due to lack of support. All these uh, stress and suffering are related to our intentions. The third category of caregiver stress is related to our action, the actual caregiving process. So when we carry out our caregiving actions, there are many types of stress. First, is related to burden, uh, the burden of companionship, the burden of functional assistance, uh, burden of financial assistance, and various obstacles that we face while we are helping the patients or while we are interacting with other family members or when we are uh, meeting the healthcare worker. Sometimes also there are some obstacles. And the whole caregiving process gives rise to a repercussion to our own personal life and our social life. These are all like uh, stress related to our actions of caregiving. So in summary, uh, the perception uh, I divide um, into empathy and grief. So uh, empathy is like you are seeing the suffering of your loved one, so you feel empathy for them or grief, you are perceive, perceiving impending absence of them. And then uh, the obsessive compulsive uh, uh, component is like you, you are obsessed to, do the, to provide the best care and uh, you compulse to do something. You cannot just sit there and do nothing. And if you, have, if you fail to help the patient, you feel helpless and powerless. And in terms of the actions, uh, you're going through the burden and the obstacles and the repercussions. So they are all together uh, seven types of uh, caregiver suffering. All these are uh, uh, part of my research of the experiences of suffering of family caregivers in Malaysia. Uh, it is uh, already published quite some time ago. So what are the consequences of all these suffering? So when you go through all these caregiver suffering and stress, you may experience burnout. Burnout is a reaction to chronic stress. And there are three stages. The first stage is like you're in a shock stage. Second stage, you're trying to resist. And third stage, you feel like very exhausted and overwhelmed. And you're like the, this picture, uh, uh, this picture shows uh, how burnout is. So why burnout? 
The reason why people experience burnout is because they care. Those who don't care, they don't experience burnout. So if you look at the word compassion, it's the perception of another suffering and the intention to relieve another suffering coupled with the action to relieve another suffering. So when you look at the three components, perception, intention, and action, you know that this is similar to the caregiver suffering. So because you are compassion, compassionate, and because you care, that's why you have to, I mean, you, you, you experience all this suffering. So that's why people sometimes call this burnout, this type of burnout, compassion fatigue. So how to address burnout and compassion fatigue? So if you, if you have a scan to scan your brain, when you're feeling burnt out, it's not really uh, no fire, but it's the, like the whole uh, brain is full of neurological activities or electrical activities. It's like burning in fire. So one way to uh, put out the fire is of course uh, to uh, use the water bucket challenge. Yeah. Sometimes there's a risk also if you the water is too much, yeah. So, uh, but so I recommend uh, an approach called the E square approach from one of my research uh, finding. So we can ask ourselves: Can you remove the events, and can you transform the experiences if you cannot remove the events? So this is the E square approach. So if you're talking about caregiving, can you remove the event? Can you stop caring? If you stop caring, there won't be any um, stress. So looks like we can't remove the care part. So we cannot remove the event. So what is left is we can transform our experience of caregiving. So how to transform your experience of caregiving? Uh, I think when you look at the rainbow, you know already the ingredient of rainbow, you need some sunlight. Without sunlight, then you won't be able to see the rainbow. So sunlight, they are uh, like the well-being. So from one of my paper, I interview all the family caregivers who are not stressed at all despite taking care of seriously ill patients. Then I try to uh, analyze this with a software and come up with the uh, themes of the well-being. So I noticed for those caregivers who remain happy and well, there are five characteristics. First is they have the characteristic of acceptance and they have gratitude, they have hope and they have happiness despite like uh, their stressful caregiving experience and they have a lot of support. So these five teams contribute to the well-being. These are the so-called uh, sunlight of the rainbow. So if you look back at the caregiver suffering for the perceptions, you can match them with the well-being called acceptance. If you are able to accept the seeing, suffering, hearing bad news, 
experiencing or perceive impending death of patient, then uh, these are these are uh, actual description of uh, family caregiver. Those who can accept, they are well. Those who cannot, then they have these perceptions related suffering. And in terms of intention, for those who feel very well and they're coping very well, that you can see that they they are trying to give the best care at, at the same time that they are very grateful and very hopeful. So in a way, this gratitude and hope able to uh, neutralize their suffering from the intentions. And in terms of actions, you can see that don't consider the, uh, the caregiving a burden. Uh, they consider it a happy experience. They are able to uh, contribute. Or if it's not really happy, then uh, at least it is something meaningful to them. And, and in terms of obstacles and repercussion, they are able to mobilize a lot of support for them to overcome all these obstacles and repercussion to their own personal and social life. So, so you can match all these to treat or manage burnout. Acceptance for the perceptions, gratitude and hope to the intentions, and support and happiness for the actions. So these are the ingredients uh, expressed by those family caregivers who are coping very well. Uh, despite taking care of uh, their loved ones who are seriously ill. So these are the well-being, the sunlight. And just uh, having the sunlight alone, you know, is not enough to make a rainbow. You need the, the rain. The rain, and uh, I'm sure you know what is a rain. So you, you need rain and you need the sunlight to make a rainbow. So the RAIN is an acronym. It's an acronym uh, comes from the mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction program. So the R stands for recognize your stressful experiences. And A, allow your negative thoughts and feelings to come and go. And investigate the causes of your stress with regards to the perceptions, intentions, and actions and nurture yourself with the five well-being categories of acceptance, gratitude, hope, happiness, and support. So uh, the last one, nurtured, also uh, can, we can also use another word called non-identification, non-reactive. So every time when you feel stress during your caregiving, you just stop to like recognize the experience and then you allow your thoughts to come and go and you look into the causes of your stress and you nurture yourself and you don't identify with the uh, the situations so this is a brain the acronym uh, of course, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel. There's uh, some advertisement for myself. Uh, you can uh, look at this mindfulness of rain and listen to this 10 minutes uh, exercise. And 
after doing the 10 minute exercise hopefully your brain will no longer be burning but it will be like calm if you put a, a scan to scan it maybe the activity is like very little already very calm already so sun plus rain will become the rainbow so you need these two ingredients and to me uh you know the the sun also a lot of well-being and the uh, rain there's the this uh, acronym from the uh, awareness and uh, they both has an element of uh, mindfulness so if you want to take good care of yourself when you take care of your loved one who is seriously ill you one way is you have to learn how to become more mindful uh, uh, you can see some of my mindfulness research uh, how i use mindfulness to guide patients and the caregivers to reduce their stress and uh, suffering uh, in a short period of time and of course uh, another advertisement you can also like uh, buy some of my book from the amazon uh, the right hand side one is a comic book the latest one uh, and there are a few books coming out uh, soon as well yeah okay i think i have completed uh, my talk and my advertisement thank you very much Thank you, Dr. Tan, for the very informative and simple uh, sharing with us about this, the caregiver stress. I think as a caregiver, we usually uh, don't be so mindful that you share with us that mindfulness that we practice. I think caregivers are more focused on getting the best for the patient who are terminal ills. Am I right, Dr. Tan? Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, so I think the first questions that I would like to ask, uh, usually uh, for your ex as an experienced doc palliative doctors, uh, what kind of challenges faced by your caregivers uh, when their loved ones are dying? Oh, okay. Uh, the challenges are all I thought uh, mentioned just now. <laughs> Okay, uh, but never mind, I just go through it very briefly. Maybe we divide the challenges into uh, the first thing is the burden itself, uh, the burden of taking care of a patient. You need to provide companionship. You need to provide the functional assistance, like as in you need to help the patient to walk or uh, to, to assist the patient to go to the toilet or feeding all this. Then financial assistance. And then the other challenges will be the uh, when you are uh, dealing with the patient, sometimes the patient don't listen to you. They have their own perspective. Uh, like uh, you want them to eat more, then they don't want to eat all this because they are diseased. So in a way, uh, it can be challenging to the caregiver. And sometimes um, even their own family members, uh, different family members that have different uh, opinion about how to like uh, take care of patients or uh, what uh, nutritional supplement to take what alternative medicine to take so uh, that sometimes they can have some argument also over this and with regards to healthcare providers sometimes you see doctors uh, uh, you can have some challenges like doctors are too busy to explain to you about the whole situation 
and uh, you are left in the dark, uh, not knowing what to do, all this. So these are the some of the challenges. And also the repercussion on your own social life when you when you sacrifice your time to take care of your loved one, you lose your own time to do things that you like to do or enjoy to do. And some they lost their job and they may even lost their social life altogether. So uh, it's uh, definitely not an easy thing, caregiving. Yeah. So Dr. Tan, as a palliative care doctor, do you help to help the family member to resolve their conflict, especially just how you mentioned about the different opinion of caregiving to the patients? Oh, okay. Uh, in terms of their conflict, uh, 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 it depends on uh, how bad is it. Uh, uh, a lot of time, the conflicts, they are, they are just having disagreement, but uh, it's okay to leave them alone. They have their some. Uh, their opinion, but it doesn't affect the patient or the caregiver. I think that is fine. But if it's like too like uh, too much tension in the family member affecting everyone, affecting the patient, then we try to like uh, try to explore from each and every perspective of the family members and try to like like put it out for everyone to see that uh, we all are different. And we all have different opinion, and uh, uh, but of course the patient is the priority. So we have to let the patient uh, make his his or her own decision with the proper information from everyone. I think we all have a, a good intention. The for all family member got in, good intention and their own opinion, but it is important to respect the patient's uh, decision. Okay, it's important to respect patients' uh, opinion and mm. their ideas of uh, being care. Okay, yes. uh, usually caregiver is uh, immediate family. La. So what do you think about the role of the non-family member in supporting the caregiver of the dying patient? Uh, it's not easy to get a non-family member to take care. Uh, I mean, once in a while, we see patients, friends, close friends uh, who, 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 who come to take care of the patients or, or keep company. Um, uh, but uh, for those with uh, financial resources, sometimes they are able to get some like paid caregiver in uh, to take care of the patients. But for those who have no resource, then it depends on whether they can have some non-family member uh, caregiver, such as like the friends from the church or uh, some volunteer from some NGO organization. But it's not easy to get that uh, kind of support now. Mm. Really care about the patient instead of just a duty, am I right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I think many of the caregiver having this problem, uh, how to interact with the dying patient when they want to volunteer themselves to help them? Oh, okay. Uh, this one is like uh, when, we, when we are seeing a, a dying patient, we have to be very sensitive and we have to know what the 
the patients, uh, whether the patient want to see you or not, and what the patients want, see, want to hear from you, what the patients want you to do for them. So we have to find out first. We shouldn't go there with a lot of uh, agenda in our mind, thinking that we know best how to help you. But we have to go there to find out what the patient needs from you. Or is it nothing? Or is it just need you to be there? So uh, instead of like going there, recommending this, recommending that, or, or giving all sorts of opinions that uh, make the situation difficult. <laughs> so I think very important to know uh, what the patient wants. And this can be trained by having a spouse, or like uh, when you're married, you have to know what your wife wants, you know. Uh, so as a non-family caregiver, we have to be very sensitive la, to the patient needs instead of their own uh, agenda or their own intentions. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so talking about this, uh, how do assist the caregiver when the mornings, when in the morning the death of his or her loved ones? Oh, okay. Uh, this one, I think we have to know that uh, majority of the grief and the mourning process are natural and normal. So you don't really need to assist anything. Uh, I think around 90% or more of the time, uh, the grief are normal reactions. So you don't have to do anything. You don't have to assist anything. Uh, the most you want to do is like, I mean, you just uh, give them uh, company, uh, but you must know whether they want the company from you or how long they want the company from you. You have to give them their own time, own personal space to grieve and allow them to grieve uh, rather than uh, giving a lot of uh, advice or giving a lot of uh, comment or any judgment. Uh, so it's to allow them to grieve, let them grief and let them uh, like express their sadness or whatever emotions and uh, only a small amount of patients family member who are grieving abnormally then we have to pick up this uh, high-risk uh, family member and we have to give them access to extra layer of support when they want to like we Usually, it's like uh, after the death of a patient, uh, we think this uh, family member high risk. Then after a few weeks, maybe we give them a call and ask them how they are, or when they come back to return their medication, or come back to say thank you to you. Then you you sit down and talk to them to find out how they are. That that is uh, usually enough. Yeah. Okay, you're talking about high risk who experience high risk of uh, mourning or grief, what are kind of symptoms that uh, maybe caregiver can uh, identify before they're getting, uh, they ignore or they deny the symptom? Oh, that, that can be seen from uh, uh, the anticipation process itself when Patients are submitted, doctor explained to them, and then it's like having hard time for them to accept. Then they are pressurizing the healthcare giver to 
like do everything possible in a very forceful nature and then uh, they want you to do everything and uh, they, they don't accept uh, the explanation so much and sometimes uh, they can even do their own uh, resuscitation uh, when the patients uh, like heart stop so uh, that they could be a bit more intense uh, but also need to know their background sometimes they are very very attached to the patient or there are many un unexplored issues uh, in the family so uh, you may uh, when you try to explore you may find out that that, that patient has a lot of guilt or uh, he uh, he or she has not been uh, treating the patient very well but uh, the patient has been treating them very well but they never have appreciated it then at the end so they cannot allow the patient to go so uh, some of these patients when they're at risk they, they may be very dramatic uh, when they are grieving, they can hurt themselves or harm themselves. So we have to uh, be very uh, alert on all these uh, uh, risk factors. Uh, some of them, they may even uh, have a suicidal ideas. So we have to be very careful. Yeah. Mm, okay. Like, it's all yeah. small mm. So I, I do see some of my uh, late patients, uh, caregivers, at uh, seen uh, psychiatrists after a few months of their loved one passed away. Is it very normal? I think it's. I think we have to be more open to see a seeing a psychiatrist because not necessarily we have mental health issue. Then only we need to see a psychiatrist. Uh, you can learn a lot of uh, coping skills from the psychiatrist, uh, especially those who have time to teach you. For example, some of the psychotherapy, the cognitive skills, all these behavioral skills, relaxation, all these are quite good, something good that we can use in our daily life, even though we don't have any mental health issue. That's why I think it's, it's, it's okay to see a psychiatrist. Uh, yeah. We have not been seeing them, yeah. except uh, maybe for me, myself, I, I'm seeing them very regularly for lunch. Uh. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, okay, talking about palliative care. Uh, so, how early palliative care for a terminal patient will benefit the caregivers? Oh, okay. Uh, that, that is a very good question. Uh, this one, uh, it should be as early as possible. Uh, the moment you are diagnosed with a serious uh, illness, the you should start to consider or give access to the palliative care referral rather than wait until uh, it's terminal because a lot of time if it's the referral is very late uh, uh, the, the things that you can do for them is less so if you are being referred very early uh, you you will be able to provide more information for the caregiver provide more practical resources or support for the caregiver so that they know how to deal with the situation rather than uh, crisis referral when the patient had a lot of symptoms suffering for a long time already family so many issues already then only refer to us that's a crisis referral it's a late referral it's uh, not as good as the early referral so don't wait 
until it is terminal uh, before referring. Uh, the moment you are diagnosed with a serious illness, consider uh, referring early. That, that, that will be better. Yeah, uh, like Dr. Tan, you say that earlier referral is the best for patient and caregiver. But usually, I think some of the practice that you see are in Malaysia that we, you usually receive refer quite late, is it? You call it critical refer, is it? So some of the caregiver or patient, they do not know about this palliative care. So how, as a palliative doctor, to create this awareness that everybody knows the importance to see palliative care when they are diagnosed? Uh, this is more about the awareness of the public, I think. Uh... I think maybe 20 years ago, the awareness of palliative care are still like very, very little. But uh, I think in recent years, uh, the awareness has improved quite a lot. You can have uh, uh, conferences of palliative care in Malaysia talking about like palliative care is everyone's business. Uh, everyone has a right to palliative care. It's a human right to receive a good symptom control uh all this and and to to receive uh, uh adequate information support so uh i think we 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 need to continue uh, to do this uh, to create the awareness among the public so that people know that no palliative care is not about the end of life only it is supposed to help you more if you come to see a palliative care doctors or nurses early so the earlier it is, the more uh, you can uh, get the information to deal with your situation. We even have patients who see us uh, uh, in the very early stage and then uh, for their, see us for their pain. And then once their pain is controlled, their disease is cured, they only uh, continue to see us for their pain only. But of course, there are also some exceptional cases whereby the patients are being referred uh, too early, too early, and then uh, they don't have any palliative care needs, and they are they have all the access to the information and everything. Uh, uh. So I think it's the doctors, the doctors need to have the awareness uh, equally compared to the, the public. Yeah. Yeah, doctor is the one who refer to the palliative team. Huh? So they have to have yeah. the awareness that earlier uh, referral is better than a late referral. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Thank you, uh, Dr. Tan, for today's uh, very interesting topic that we share that I think hardly we all talk about this uh, caregiver because we tend to forget them. We always focus on patients. But today, Dr. Tan, you have shared a lot of uh, information but as a caregiver, how they can help themselves using the, the rainbow that you are explaining, the sun and the rain, to create rainbow for their loved one. Thank you, Dr. Tan, for today's talk. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. But it's a rainbow, you know, not the rainbow. Oh, red book. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.